Hello, and welcome to Farmers Capital Conversations. I'm your host, Casey Silveria. This podcast aims to expand your social, intellectual, and economic capital. Investing on and off the farm is hard enough. Here, we will provide insightful stories and resources to help out. Full transparency, this is our shameless way for you to like us and hopes you partner with us down the road. Lastly, there are no ads here. All I ask is you enjoy and share if you find value. Now, on to the episode. My company is generally not the flashiest. We we aren't promising anything that is um, above and beyond, you know, promising huge yields or anything like that. But we base all of our recommendations on proven science that's been occurring for hundreds of years. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Farming for Passive Income. I'm your host, Casey Silveria. Today, we are joined by Alec Bean. Alec Bean is an agronomist, entrepreneur, and investor focused on providing independent agroeconomic consulting services and participating in businesses that empower investors, landowners, and savvy farmers to take advantage of the tax code and maximize their agronomic investments. Um, Alec, really excited to have you on the show. Thanks, Casey. I'm really excited to be here. So this was a new thing. Um, just, I was just listening to, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, obviously, I host one and your name popped up um, on one of the very popular podcasts out there talking about a tax code that I had not heard of where you are actually able to depreciate the fertility in your land. Um, and I thought that was very unique. I had never heard of it. And so I was it pinged me and I was like, I got to get Alec on the show to talk about this to help our client, our clients and um, listeners. Yes. It's, it's a really exciting piece of the tax code. And I know that sounds kind of, uh, that doesn't sound, sound fun, you know, exciting, something with the tax code. But when you're talking about land, uh, as as your listeners will know, it's hard to find depreciation on land, right? Yep. So unlike commercial real estate or uh, any other form of real estate really as an investment, there's not as many opportunities to depreciate. So when, mm-hmm. when we kind of found this out, I thought to myself, I, I absolutely have to take advantage of this and, and, and act on this to provide my clients with the benefits that, you know, that they need or can take advantage of. And mm-hmm. uh, I really have to thank one of my clients, uh, a farm manager. Um, he had asked me about this IRS section 180 a couple of years ago, and I really didn't know much about it. And so I did some research, looked into it, and consulted with some some CPAs, and they gave me the blessing more or less, saying yes, this is a thing. And so we've we've started conducting reports and, and saving clients a lot of money. It's a really good point. You can't depreciate land, right? That's just common knowledge, and that's why we use real estate to depreciate the value of those assets over time. So that's why it's very unique that this code exists. And Mm -hmm. I know, I feel like it's a hidden gem out there that not a lot of people know about. Like I've never heard of it. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's a hidden gem. 
there are some caveats with it that I think we may as well, I don't want to hijack the, the show here, but maybe we should just no, get into ahead. off the bat. So people have a frame of reference for where this conversation is going. So the, the tax code IRS tax code section 180 allows for the depreciation of excess fertility on farmland. The main caveat with this is at the time of purchase or close to the time of purchase. So if you've mm -hmm. owned a farm for 30 years, unfortunately, this does not necessarily apply. It's only going to apply when you are purchasing new farms. So that's, that's the first caveat. And there's a few other little, little pieces in there to, to make this go. But moving forward, this is a tool as, as clients are purchasing land that they can take advantage of. Um, it's really important. So, mm -hmm. so only applies to new purchases of land. What about when you're transferring ownership, say from the parents to the siblings? Are is that allowable? Or uh, there, I'm sure there's complications there. Yeah, there's always complications, and I guess yeah. I should back up slightly. Um, I have to say, you know, I am not a CPA. I'm not a tax advisor, so none of this is tax or financial mm -hmm. advice. So you need to consult with your CPA. Mm -hmm to see if this is applicable to your situation. So have to say that off the bat, but in, in most cases where you are purchasing a parcel um, or inheriting a parcel uh, in any other methods really that are used to accomplish land transfers, this will generally apply. Yep. Okay, so it will apply if it's transferring to younger generations then. As long as your CPA will give the blessing on it, yes. Right, yeah. Because at the Ass end of the day... That, yeah. yeah, but it has been done before. Be You're right. They're going to be the ones that are signing off on it. And, uh, you know, it, and, and that's the other piece of this too, that I, I have worked with a number of accountants that, you know, they didn't know know about this piece of the code and once they understand the mechanics of it you know generally when when i talk start talking to a cpa they're they're apprehensive of course and they should be mm -hmm. um when their reputation and their client clients um at, you know money's on the line basically so they should be yep. apprehensive but once i explain how this works provide the code uh, and actually, I have some other resources that are from quasi-governmental agencies like universities that kind of walk through this. It's, oh, I understand how this works. And um, I haven't had a, C a real CPA. I've had some, uh, how do I want to put this, um, tax preparers mm -hmm. that have not understood, but they weren't real CPAs. So generally once I get an actual CPA involved, it, it's all, it's all good. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that you mentioned using quasi governmental and I think also governmental data as a foundation for what you're doing. 
Yes, yeah, everything I do, and in, including in my, or especially in my consulting business, this, the the IRS Section 180 is really only a, uh, right now, a small portion of my business. I My company, ASM, has, we've been the premier provider of soil testing, agronomic consultation, In we're in Illinois, we do work in all the Midwest, for over 40 years. You know, I haven't owned the business for 40 years, but we have a reputation as being th- the experts mm-hmm. in that. And so moving into this was, it was a no brainer because of, of how we've conducted business in the past. So yes, my recommendations are generally almost always rooted in what a university says or the government says is is ideal operating conditions so mm-hmm. yeah it's a great way to go about it i mean otherwise they're all of your reports and the fertility testing mm-hmm. is all done based on assumptions people are going to ask about your assumptions anyway so it's even it's just better to use the publicly available data already there cpas also love that right and that's the thing you know like there's a lot of companies out there don't get me wrong that do the agronomic consultation um dime a dozen really and what i've found is my company is generally not the flashiest we we aren't promising anything that is um above and beyond you know promising huge yields or anything like that yeah but we base all of our recommendations on proven science that's been occurring for hundreds of years. And so we have a solid, stable approach. Like I said, we are not going to be flashy, but um, our methods are, are proven. And part of that is operating within those kind of the quasi-governmental standards. So, Yeah, that's great, Alec. So let's get into it. Can you give us like a working example of what this would look like? Yeah. So um, a client purchases a parcel of land, let's say this fall, upcoming fall. Mm -hmm. Uh, They go into it knowing that the farm has been well taken care of, or at least have the assumption that the farm has been well taken care of as far as fertility goes. So what the client would need to do is contact my company, myself, and say, hey, I purchased a parcel of land, This, or I'm going to be closing this fall, or we closed this fall. We need to get this process going. Say, okay, great. So at that point, we can kind of go about it two ways. If you have a soil testing company that you've been working with, you know, a lot, a lot of my clients that are coming to me, are, you know, they're happy with the testing company that they're using. That's great. We play nice with them. Have them uh, do do the soil testing, or you can have my company do the soil testing. So we actually would go out, collect the soil samples. We use GPS um, enabled four wheelers to uh, collect samples with the GPS points recorded. We have our own in-house laboratory. with constant um, standard checking, uh, testing, things like that. So we are a mm-hmm. um, 
we're our own independent laboratory. Uh, so you get your soil test results back on the on this on the farm, and that at that point, I would take a look at those soil tests and compare them to what your state's land grant university or just the the university with the the ag program basically in your state says these are the optimal soil test values to produce a crop in this state anything above those optimal values that's great that you have it and you don't need to apply any extra fertilizer so we say okay so you have your baseline here. Let's just use Illinois, for example. Um, and I'm going to use pounds per acre just to make it simple. So Illinois says that mm -hmm. 40 pounds per acre of phosphorus is, how, is what you need to produce an optimal crop. Anything above that 40 pounds, that's considered excess. And that's the amount that we're going to use to depreciate. So I take your excess amount. Sorry, go ahead. Did you have no, a question? You're good. I was oh. just wondering okay. how much they're able to, or if they can figure out, you know, what is naturally in the soil and how much has been land applied and how that impacts this study and going forward. Yeah. So as of now, there's no differentiation between what the natural the soil is going to naturally supply versus what has been applied as, as fertilizer material. So, okay. um, and, and, uh, I would not anticipate that being incorporated at any time. Okay. Sounds good. Sorry to yeah. interrupt you. Go no, ahead. no, no, you're good. That's, that's a good, that's a good point. I, I love answering questions. So anytime you have a question, just let me know. Um, okay. So we have that, we have that excess amount. So say your soil test in, in this case, we said Illinois was 40 pounds per acre on phosphorus. Let's say your soil test says you have 50 pounds per acre in, ex in excess phosphorus fertility fertilizer. So we take that 10 pounds difference. And on the day that you closed on the property, I use what the value of that fertilizer was, the fertilizer material that you would actually have your, your fertilizer guy, your uh, co-op, whatever, come out and spread. I would take that value and that's the amount that you're going to be able to depreciate. Okay. That so, makes sense. So it, over it's and a, above a baseline. Over and above a baseline. Um, to give you a ballpark idea of kind of the numbers that we're pretty typically looking at, it's not hard for me to find between two and $500 per acre in this excess value. Okay. So is it going to make you, is it going to make you, buy a property because you have that potential for excess depreciation? No, probably not, but it's a nice cherry on top. Uh, uh, and again, back to what we started with on an, on an asset that you're generally not able to depreciate anyway. Yep. Does this vary by crop Alec or is it 
do they have general standards by state? There are there are general standards by state, and depending on the state, like Illinois, for instance, uh, really we pretty much only have guidance on corn and soybean. That's just what we do here. So, yep, corn and soybean is are the numbers that I use for Illinois. I, I do use the standards for each individual state that I'm working in though. So there's been some I've done that have been for like wheat or barley, um, alfalfa, uh, the crops like that. So yes, there, there are some different standards across the map, but for the vast majority of my clients, they're in the Midwestern states. Uh, it's generally corn and soybean. Okay. Yeah, that that makes sense. And it is by crop then for the most it part would be, like you Yeah, if it I, I it's pretty lenient. I wouldn't um because there's nothing to say that you couldn't grow a certain crop. Right? If you're involved in yep. in an agriculture operation, there's nothing to say that hey, I I want to switch away from a from a wheat crop to to corn on corn. You know, like there's nothing to say that you couldn't do that. So we have to operate within kind of say agricultural norms. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, that's mm-hmm. a really good point because I always think about crop rotations mm-hmm. and how and how it affects. Like we'll grow three, four crops on the same plot of land to keep the soil where it needs to be, you know, mm-hmm. till things under where necessary and not over farm certain parcels of land. Is that impacted by w- this tax code or, I mean, w- what are your thoughts on crop rotations in this, this strategy? So I think to this strategy, it's only going to make a difference prior to your purchase. And with that, I think it's only going to make a difference if the prior owner or tenant wasn't taking care of the land as far as adding fertilizer. I see it quite often um, where a tenant is in the process of retiring, going bankrupt, who knows, you know, whatever the reason is, or they know they're not going to be on that land. And they just... They just took their they just take their foot off the gas and 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 don't apply fertilizer and, and that's a whole another conversation where prior to you started recording we were talking about farm management and how important it is for uh, absentee landowners to have a farm manager or at the very minimum take an active role in the management of the property as far as testing mm-hmm. and. and checking in on things goes so well well, it could be huge because say for instance an operator comes in does all of the soil testing come to find out the previous operator or the the farmer my dad perhaps was over applying in certain parcels of of land where Mm -hmm. it wasn't needed for that specific crop Mm -hmm. you could test the soil and then although you already paid the paid cash for that fertilizer you and you don't need it you could depreciate that excess value for that parcel over time so it could be a huge benefit 
The landowner could, yes. Yeah, the landowner. This is only, yep, this is only available on the buy side. And so yep. buyers are going to reap the benefits if, if you purchased a parcel from somebody, again, that took care of the land, was actively fertilizing. The best situations are always when there's a manure situation involved. So somebody is applying hog manure or cattle manure on the property, and that's very high in nutrients. Uh, and that can yield a lot of uh, depreciation. So, yes, you'll, you will benefit yeah. from all of the money that the person you bought the parcel from put into the property. So, yeah. And so purchase and also transfer of ownership. But so does that need to happen when you do these studies and talk with your CPA and get a hold of Alec and company? Mm -hmm. What is the timetable needed to, to execute something like this? Is it a month? Is do they have six months? Um, just to give our listeners a little bit of a little bit of ammo here, if, if they have this this coming online in the next couple of years or so. Mm-hmm. So the, I was thinking about this last night, just how how unique the agricultural industry is as far as time frames go. So we work in seasons, right? We have yep. spring season, we have summer season, we have fall season. And, and where I live, winter season, you go to Florida or Arizona. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. so all that to say, agronomically, and we're going to come back to agro- agronomics here, it needs to, you need to have the testing done within a reasonable time frame. Reasonable, let's just put it this way, you purchase a farm this upcoming fall, you would ideally have that farm soil tested that fall, ideally in a perfect world on the day of closing. Now, if we can get to it in the fall, I mean, we have the ability to get to it in the fall, no problem. Um, But if you have like a a mid-December or end of December close date, generally where I live, the ground's going to be frozen. So if you can arrange prior to closing testing, if you can get possession before closing or at least permission for us to go out and collect samples, great. The other option would be to roll it over to springtime. And then we can get that prior to uh, planting and then prior to you uh, filing your taxes. Gotcha. Now, so one preferably of the- as soon as possible, but there are some steps if like the ground is frozen. Exactly. It's it, it it's going to come back to was this a reasonably was it reasonably agronomic? Was the decision reasonably agronomic? And yes, if you close if you close on a farm in December, there's not going to be a single person that's well, I can't say that. It would be very unlikely <laughs> unlikely that someone would give you a hard time for testing in the spring. Now, the most mm-hmm. important piece, there's two pieces that are really really key to this. Okay. Number 1, have your have the soil tested as close to time of closing as possible. I can do that. Your favorite testing company can do that. I don't care. 
Number two, do not apply fertilizer before you have that test done. Because you're going to bump up your numbers and it's going to be a really shady look. <laughs> so That's exactly what I was going to bring up. So what what is that? How do you mitigate number two? Or like from if you're the IRS and they see a tax return with this 180 through the CPA, through your filings, mm-hmm. are they going to check any of that? I mean, I just on a moral standpoint, you shouldn't do that. Maybe, right. but they maybe they do it by accident also, and they just didn't know, or they didn't even think about it. Right. The risk of audit is always there. Yep. I'm I'm at risk, just like you're at risk, just like the listeners at risk of audit any year, right? So that's my point in doing everything by the book here and being honest when I ask, because that's a it's part of my questionnaire. Have you applied fertilizer since the time of purchase before or prior to you had a soil test done? If they say yes to that and they're, you know, if they're honest with me and they say, yes, I say, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I have a story for that. Um, Good friend of mine, client, uh, he, they are, how do I want to put this? They are not operators of farm. They are owners of, of a farm. They have a trusted tenant that they work with on their farms. They buy in one geographic area and they, they have a good relationship with this tenant and um, they work together by all, by all standards. This tenant's been, been great with them. And I think he is a good operator. Unfortunately, uh, he jumped the gun. The tenant did and did not talk to the landowner about anything. Um, and he applied fertilizers like the day after they closed on the farm. Now let's just stop and think about that. They don't have a soil test. Yep. Tenant applies fertilizer. So already the tenant is, I mean, why, you know, like what if that farm was, was adequate or, way above above your baseline like what's the thinking there well he cost them a lot of money yep he cost my clients a lot of money so this goes again this goes back to management and if you have a great relationship with your tenant great just tell them hey we're doing you know we are going to be conducting one of these these studies so we really need to make sure that we don't mess this up and we cannot apply fertilizer before these certain things happen. So that's really important. Uh, Keep that in mind with your tenants. I get it. Weather's coming in the fall. They want to, they want to get the fertilizer down. They want to get the ground worked, but it could cost you a lot of money. Potentially slow down, communicate. There's, there's no need to, uh, you go spend money on the yeah. on a piece of rented land that you know you don't own. There's plenty of time for that in the spring. So, yeah, this isn't the Oprah show for farms. You know, you get fertilizer and you get right. fertilizer. Like you can slow down. Maybe they right. don't need fertilizer. You don't need well, any exactly. Oprah for your field. And that was the head scratcher. I just said, you know, I, I I just don't I don't understand the thinking here. 
just go throw it out there without a test. It's just, it's hard for me as an agronomist to understand that. Um, yeah. Sometimes habits are ingrained. Yeah, absolutely. As well. Like yeah. it's hard to change, change practices over time, no matter who you are, really. Mm-hmm. But it happens. But those are really good uh, two points there, Alec. Yep. Very important. Yeah. If you can't, if you can't fulfill those two points, I can't help you. There's just nothing that I'm going to be able to do. And so soil test as close to the time of purchase as possible. Do not apply fertilizer before you have that for that soil test. Copy. And then, so once those two qualifications are met, what mm-hmm. is the, the timeline to, for what you do? Say the, the owner, the new owner gets mm-hmm. a hold of you. How long does that process usually take? Yeah. If you can provide me soil tests. So again, you have a company you like to work with and they provide in, and you send the soil test over to me. I will do an initial review of those tests against your state's qualifications. And I will give you a rough idea or at least be able to tell you yes or no, this is worth pursuing further. I do that at no charge. I I can't justify taking a client on. They send me the test. I take, you know, 10 minutes to review it and then charge you for the full service. And there's, and there's nothing there. So I do, I do these consults, no charge. So once I find out that this is worth your time, uh, I can have a report done very quickly. If I'm not backlogged, I can get a week or under that. So if you need us to do the soil sampling and testing two weeks, would be pretty reasonable to expect pretty quick though. I mean, one to two weeks is, I mean, we, we operate in seasons, real estate, we operate in years, you know, just like farms do. So one to two weeks is pretty short timeframe. Sure. Yeah. We, we really try to, to push these out as quick as possible. So, so clients can have this information sent to their CPAs and, and they can get it on their taxes. So. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Oh man. I had a question and it escaped me. It's horrible. I hate it when that That's happens. That's all right. We can keep on chatting. I'm sure it'll come back around. Yeah, it might. It might. <laughs> oh, man. Well, is, is there, I think we covered everything on my list besides, of course, this nagging question in the back of my head somewhere. Um, but what else should we, should we talk about, Alec? I mean, you're the professional here. I've never heard of this, but it makes a lot of sense. You're getting a baseline. Mm-hmm. You're making sure you're doing the right thing things to make sure there's no shady business mm-hmm. um you're giving your cpa the right information as well you're mm-hmm. using government or and or quasi government data to produce mm-hmm. these tests you're mm-hmm. performing them in a really quick time frame mm-hmm. and i mean really it, it seems like a pretty good pretty good value prop oh here here is the question when Perfect. you are doing the free consultations what Mm -hmm. is the baseline that you would recommend the owners the new land owners get a hold of you and go through the full service that you guys provide like what is the like they spend a dollar with alec and they'll get ten dollars back in depreciation 
Like what, mm-hmm. what are some of the thresholds that you are comfortable proposing to the new landowners? Sure. So I had, when I was originally considering starting this piece of the business, I had thought about it a few different ways and, and, and you, you and your listeners are probably familiar with companies that uh, do this on the commercial side, correct? As far as mm-hmm. depreciation, they'll do a, um, what's the fish, the study called? Cost they segregation do? studies. Cost segregation. That's right. This is cost segregation for farmland, essentially. Um, so I looked into how that industry operated and I liked it a lot, but my concern was this, that I, it would be conceivable that someone providing a service like this might up those soil test numbers to achieve a certain result if you're being paid based off of how much you're saving somebody, right? Yeah, that, conflict that sounds of interest. Pretty, conflict of interest, fox in the hen house look. Yep. And as we've discussed, that's not how I operate. Independent, quasi-governmental, governmental information. So I looked at my other piece of the business, which is the soil testing piece. Um, and I said, I charge a per acre rate for that service. So I said, I'm going to charge a per acre rate for this service. Now we can get into that. I have no problem discussing what I'm charging. I, to my knowledge, I'm like one of two companies in the United States doing this. So competition. Doing this specific tax code or helping helping new landowners working with CPAs do the new tax code or the flat fee per acre? Uh, no. Or both. Flat fee per, I'm one of the mm-hmm. few companies in the United States providing these studies. Okay. So what I'm doing is I'm charging per acre. Uh, if you need my company to do everything, you need us to come out, do the soil test, collect the samples, do all the GPS stuff, bring them back to our lab, do the testing, and then provide you the results as well as the report charging $20 per acre. If you need, if you have soil tests done already, I'm charging $10 per acre for the service for, okay. to, to produce Full the report. service 20, the reports 10. Yes. So if or you remember back, Yep. So if you remember back to what kind of my, the numbers I threw out, it's generally not very hard for me to find between two and $500 per acre. Mm-hmm. So most of the time my fees are coming in at three to 5%. Right. Yeah. It's really low. I mean, even yeah. at the low end, that's a, that's a 10 to one, you know, they're spending one to get back 10 in the form of depreciation savings over time. And then I think I was listening to your other podcasts and some of your clients were getting even a thousand, like not to get our listeners hopes and dreams up. um, But that is what's possible. It's not with these, with these studies. It's not unheard of. I've done a number of reports that have been over a thousand dollars per acre. So, you know, you, you start multiplying that across, 
160 or if you're a, a larger buyer, 300, five, who, you know, however yeah. much, I mean, that's no small amount of money, no, no matter who you are outside of Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, that's not a small amount of money to, to depreciate. So yeah, my fees are very low in relation to the potential savings. Again, if you can cover my fee, generally people are, are I would not probably do like much less than like $20 per acre as far as how much I could get you if you're on the $10 service, you know, but mm-hmm. in that, at that point, I, if it's, if your potential depreciation is only like is less than a hundred dollars, that's when I would come back to you and say, Hey, you know, it's, it's worth it. It just depends on what your, your level of wanting to pursue this is right. So yeah, in theory, like the ultimate benefit because it does add complexity to your returns. Exactly. Yep. So um, one other consideration. So this, there's going to, there, there will be a clawback from the IRS at the end of the game. Okay. Now this is where farmland investment gets interesting because outside of like institutional investors, private equity, as you know, um, people that are buying farmland, owner operators, let's just say, they generally aren't planning on flipping it, right? They're buying it to have it as their portfolio of farms to operate, to farm themselves for the most part. And so the consideration of the IRS is going to want that depreciation back at the at the end of the game. Yes, that's there. But it's, it's especially with 1031 exchange occurring among a, a lot of farmland transactions, that's just not something that, that a lot of my clients have to consider. So on the front end, you're going to depreciate basically against income. It's going to lower, mm-hmm. it's going to lower your basis in the property. So let's say you spent $10,000 per acre on the farm, I can get you $500 per acre. So your basis is 9,500 bucks per acre. So that capital gains there is what the IRS is going to want to claw back from you. So that's a consideration. That makes sense. So that's, that's a, a really good, good one. Mm-hmm. So it's going to hit, it's going to hit your basis um, on the front end. And then on the back end, if you go to sell the property, it's going to it's going to hit against hit your capital gains, which in most cases you would rather hit your capital gains than your income. Excuse me. Flip that, right? <laughs> yeah. You would Flip right, that you, one. In the, right, you would rather have that in the beginning than at the end. Mhm. No, you're good. So, with commercial real estate or other real estate, you know, it's pretty typical for a depreciation schedule to be around anywhere from 20 to 30 years, depending on the asset. Different if you do cost segregation studies, but generally, what does this look like 
for the fertility assessments? Mm -hmm. What is the duration? So most of the guidance that I've received from CPAs is you can basically just add it to a depreciation schedule or expense it out. I'm going to, I'm actually going to pull up what my, what the accountant, the CPA that I've been working with a lot. I just asked him a question about this and he kind of walked it out for me. So it just goes on, it just goes on the depreciation schedule as an asset and can be written off or depreciated depending on how the client wants to run it. So there you go. You know, it, it's one of those things. It's where it's like, again, the per acre number is, is not a crazy amount of money. Thousand dollars is probably about where you're going to top out at for the most part. I mean, there's, there's cases that would go above that. So I would argue that most times you'd probably want to take it in one year rather than okay rather than scheduling it out but on my reports i do provide a piece that says based off of your crop yields this is how many years that excess would last you so that more or less provides a a schedule most of the time it's like between four and seven years hey you can get through four cropping cycles with this excess fertility you could take it over that four years potentially. Okay. So there's a couple options. Either take it right up front or over that crop life cycle, really, or the incremental over above that baseline number and you help them estimate that. Right. So I, I think most of most of the reports I've done, I think they've just taken it in that initial year. So it's cleaner. Yeah, it's makes cleaner. It easier. And, you know, I think concerns over we just lost bonus depreciation, right? Or we are in the process of losing it, correct? Yep. So accurate. That that might have that might play into the to the thinking as well. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, definitely definitely could. Well, Alec, we have covered a lot of info, but this is this has been a good good episode. A lot of value in here, and you pulled out a lot of really good gold nuggets. Um, but is there is there one thing as we kind of wrap up for the listeners? Um, is there anything you'd like to leave us with? I mean, no, we've covered almost the gamut of what I want to talk about. But from your perspective, is there anything anything else? Yeah, I th- I think my overarching message is this. Take advantage of everything you possibly can. If you're buying farmland right now, you really need to be at least looking into this. It's again, we talked about the numbers and the the return on investment. It's it's a no it's in many cases, most cases, it's a no-brainer. The second point is consider consider strongly the use of a farm manager. I think that's another case where if you're if you're wanting to be a passive investor, you know, farm managers do a great job in providing returns and help you achieve that passive nature. 
that you're looking for. So that would be that would be my my main points, especially to an audience that's geared towards um, maybe passive investing or just investing in general. Yeah, I, I echo that as well. I am I'm a passive investor in certain asset classes in certain markets that I'm not an expert in. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I'm also an operator and I partner with people where are, where we are in those local markets. So mm-hmm. it depends on your preferences and where you think your own unique value proposition is and, you know, where, where you should pull in specialists, where, where needed, or, you know, maybe you can do things yourself, be a jack of all trades, but, yeah. um, I and feel you on that, Alec. There's nothing wrong with that. And before we started recording, I think I mentioned, you know, there's a lot of areas of my life that I handed, I hand the decisions over to the professionals and, 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 and frankly, people do that to me as well. They hand, uh, these decisions over to me and I have to use my professional experience to, to be a fiduciary for them. So I think partnering with other professionals is 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 huge. I, I had mentioned I my barber sits me down in the chair and asks me what we're doing, and I say, I, "You do. You are the professional here. I did not go to barber school. You do what makes sense to you." And um, that's just how I how I operate in life. There's I can't be a jack of uh, a jack of all trades, so um, that's how I operate. Yeah. We can sure try, but hopefully your barber doesn't throw a mullet on you next time. I see right. you. And if he does, that's cool. I mean, business in the front, party in the back. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, funny. Alec, thank you so much for coming on. A lot of valuable information here. Um, where can listeners get a hold of more to get know, get to know you more? Yeah, Casey, appreciate that. So my website is asmlabs.net. There is a tab there for the IRS section 180 with a contact form, some some information about how the program works. Feel free to uh, reach out to me directly through my my email, which can be found on the website. Um, and, And my contact information is on there as well. I'm on LinkedIn. So send me an invite. Let's talk. I'm I'm in all sorts of those, the investing community pages on LinkedIn. And so all over there, I I post some, but I lurk in the background and try to learn from others more. So hit me up on LinkedIn, Alec Bean. There's not many Alec Beans in the world, so I shouldn't be too hard to find. That sounds good. And we will include all of that in the show notes as well. But any relation to Mr. Bean? By chance, maybe, maybe down the line somehow. Thankfully, I'm uh, well. Too bad I'm not as good of an actor, really. But <laughs> hey, practice makes perfect, Alec. You can start today, every man, day. if you really want. Every day. <laughs> all right, man. Well, thanks for coming on, yeah. listeners. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. Um, feel free to get a hold of Alec or me personally. You know how to do that, and we hope to see and talk to you soon. All right, everyone. Have a good day. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Casey.